Thank you for worshiping with New Grace in Roanoke, Virginia this morning. We are honored that you are tuning in and we believe that God is going to use this service in your life and the lives of many others. We are walking through a very difficult and trying time as a society. As a result of everything happening in our world today, how we gather as a church looks very different. We are all used to gathering together on our church campus, but for now, we will worship together through technology. Though this is a very different format, our desire as a church is still the same. Our desire is to worship Jesus and encourage the believer. As you watch this service today, whether by yourself or with your family, I want to encourage you to participate in this time of worship. As our team leads us, let us sing with passion. As we are led in prayer together, let's cry out to God in desperation. Pastor Sean teaches us from the Word as we sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He speaks. Also, be an encouragement to our worship team by participating. Comment that you are watching. Comment on things the Holy Spirit brings to your heart. Or post a picture of you and your family worshiping together on our Facebook page. Again, thank you for joining us today as we worship the Father. We pray you are blessed and encouraged from this service today.
generosity is making a difference all over the world. We're able to partner with missionaries globally to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because of your continued financial investment. So even though we're not all gathered together physically on this campus this week, I want to challenge you to continue to honor God with your resources by giving through new grace for the sake of the mission of God. There are multiple ways you can give. You can give online at reachingroanoke.com and clicking the donate button. You can also mail your gift to 1527 Guilford Avenue, Northwest, Roanoke, Virginia, 24017. You can also text your gift using your phone to 540-572-4654. We're going to continue our service now, and one thing we believe as we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. So right now, Pastor Sean is going to lead us at a time of scripture-fed, spirit-led prayer. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 84, verses 11 through 12, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you once again for the opportunity we have to come into your presence and to worship you. Lord, I know and Lord, you're aware that these are difficult times. These are trying times. And Lord, we're not worshiping together like we would. But Lord, we're so grateful that we can still be together through technology. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, we are so grateful that you are our sun and our shield. We're so thankful, God, that you protect us. You provide for us. You guide us, Lord, especially in these difficult and trying times. Lord, we need you now more than ever. God, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts I pray, God, that you would continue to bless us and use us, God, for your honor and for your glory. God, I pray that you would help us to to trust in you, to have faith that, Lord, everything you're doing, you're doing for our good. God, I pray especially now as we, Lord, go into the preaching time, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would pour down upon everyone watching or listening to this sermon this morning. I pray, God, that you would do a work in their lives. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, comfort them through your word, teach them through your word, and God, do a work in their lives today. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Speak through me now. 
God, I pray that you would help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And Lord, help me not to say what I should not say, but help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh 
There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Problem with Pain. In that book, he gives us this quote. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That is what a lot of people are feeling today. They were going through their lives, living their lives for themselves. Everything seemed to be going fine. And then pain came. Maybe you hadn't thought about God in years. But all of a sudden, through this coronavirus pandemic, through the pain that we're experiencing emotionally and relationally and financially, through that pain, now you're finding yourself searching. You're finding yourself looking to God for the first time in years. Suddenly your, your life was changed and it, it wasn't for the better. You found yourself looking to a God that you never believed in or looking to a God that you've given up hope in or walked away from. Your pain was the megaphone that God is using to get your attention, to bring you to a place of realizing your need for him and to get you seeking him. But maybe your story is the opposite. Maybe you were faithful to God. Maybe you were attending church every time the doors were open. You were a faithful tither. You served in the church. You read your Bible every day. You prayed every day. You walked with God. You served God. You did what you knew was right. But pain in the world or pain in your life has caused you to doubt God, has caused you to doubt God. It's interesting that two different people can have the same experience, but they can come to different conclusions about God in their pain. Admiral James Stockdale is a name that many of you probably don't recognize. He was a vice presidential candidate back in 1992. He was running with Ross Perot, which is why you probably don't know him or recognize his name. But he's most famous for the fact that he was a POW during the Vietnam War. In fact, he was the highest ranking U.S. officer to be a POW during the Vietnam conflict. He was held in what is known as the Hanoi Hilton for eight years. He was tortured Hundreds of times they kept torturing him because he refused to be used 
in the Vietnamese propaganda against American forces. He was so adamantly against them using him in any way to discourage American forces or to turn the tide against the American army that he disfigured his face so they couldn't use him in videos and pictures. Years later, he was being interviewed for a book uh, by a man named James Collins. Uh, James Collins, he wrote a book called Good to Great, and he was interviewing uh, Admiral Stockdale for his book. And he asked a question that a lot of people had asked or a lot of people had thought about. Maybe you've wondered about it already. How was he able to survive eight years of capture, eight years of torture, eight years of pain and agony when so many other people weren't able to, to do it? And here's what he said. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. That's a powerful statement. That shows incredible faith and incredible wisdom. What he was saying was he understood that the pain he was facing, the torture he was going through, whatever he was facing at that moment in his life, it was shaping him to be who God wanted him to be one day, and he would not trade who God wanted him to be one day for any relief from the pain he was facing then. Well, then Mr. Collins asked him another question. So what about the people who didn't get out? Why weren't they able to last as long as you did? He said, oh, that's easy. The optimists didn't make it out. Now, hearing that at first, it doesn't make sense. The ones who were optimistic about their chances of of freedom, the people who were hopeful that they would get out, they didn't make it out because of their optimism. He he continued. He said, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. And here's the lesson that he he was trying to get get across. He said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with a discipline to confront the most brutal brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. That statement has been come to be known as the Stockdale Paradox. Now, a paradox is a statement that on the surface, when you first hear it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to, to add up. But the more you investigate it, the more you study it, you realize that that statement is true. And this is a paradox that a lot of people, especially believers, struggle with when they're facing pain. It, it goes back to what we looked at last week in Romans 8:28. You know, we understand that everything we're facing, everything we're going through, that God is working in that pain in that hurt, in that difficulty for the absolute best 
for us. But understanding that and knowing that and realizing that we cannot take our eyes or our focus off dealing with the current situation that we're in. The problem that we run into is that while we we know we believe, we know to be true and we believe to be true, the promise of Romans 8.28, we don't like waiting through the pain. No one likes waiting. And right now, that's all we're doing. We're waiting for the virus to end. We're waiting for businesses to open up. We're waiting to worship together as a church family. We are waiting for life to become normal again. But there's two kinds of waiting. There's one waiting that is good. And that is expectant waiting. Expectant waiting is the type of waiting that kids have during Christmas. They don't like waiting for the day to get their presents, but they know that when that day comes and they're open, able to tear open those presents, that they're going to receive something good. I experienced this type of waiting when each one of my children were born. When we found out we were expecting them, we, uh, we were excited. We, we couldn't wait to meet them, but we had to wait nine months. And then with some of them, like Parker, we had to wait 36 hours for labor. And I didn't like waiting to meet them, but I knew it would be worth it because at the end, I'd be able to hold my child. I'd be able to meet them and get to know them and love them. Expectant waiting is when you know what is coming and you are excited about it. But there's another type of waiting, and this type of waiting isn't one that we're fond of. It's anxious waiting. Anxious waiting is when you don't know what's coming and you're fearful of the future. That's what we're all facing right now. That's the waiting that we are that we go through when we're facing pain. We we know it will work together for our good, but we don't know what we're going to face before we get there. It's the waiting we deal with when you go to the doctor and they they find something that's not quite right. And you have to go for medical testing and you have to wait to go back to the doctor to to get the results, to find out what's going to happen. It's the, it's the waiting that we experienced this past November when Fred got sick and was in the hospital, was having surgery. We were waiting for the doctor to tell us that everything was going to be okay. We were waiting for the doctor to tell us that he came through and he was going to make a miraculous recovery. And he did make an incredible recovery and he did make it through, but it took a long time and there was a lot of waiting in the meantime. Maybe you lost your job during this pandemic and you're waiting to see if you're going to get it back. Waiting to see if everything's going to be okay. You know as a believer that all things work together for the absolute best, but getting to that absolute best and waiting to see what God's doing, we don't like it. It's the waiting you experience when on Friday afternoon your boss tells you, I want to see you first thing in Monday morning in my office. You don't know what he's expecting, but bosses generally don't call you into their office first thing on Monday morning for good news. So you spend the whole weekend tossing and turning and wondering what's going to happen. Waiting in uncertainty, waiting in darkness, waiting in doubt. Maybe you're a parent who's 
adult child has turned their back on God. You did everything right. You took them to church. You did devotions with them. You poured the Bible into them, but now they're, they've drifted from God and now you are waiting to see them come back. You have faith that they will, but you don't know when and you don't know how, so you're waiting. The unknown is something that none of us like to face, but that is what our entire society is dealing with right now. We don't know What's going to happen? And in those times as believers, we can wonder where God is in our waiting. I imagine Admiral Stockdale thought that a time or two. As he was waiting for eight years to be freed, as he was waiting, as they tortured him time and time again. I'm sure time or two, he wondered where God was in the waiting. What does the Bible say about our times of waiting. The Bible gives us some incredible promises about waiting for God to show up and waiting to see the result that will help us during these times of waiting. One thing that we need to understand as a believer, all of our waiting can be and should be expectant waiting. The reason is because while we don't know the details of what's going to happen. We don't know the details of what's going on. We do know through the promises of God that whatever happens, God is working it out for the absolute best for us. We know we have an incredible hope to look forward to, no matter what we are facing in the moment. In Psalms chapter number 40, David, he writes about this expectant waiting that all of us have to face from time to time, knowing that what is coming is good and being excited about it. So turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter number 40, verse number one. Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, a lot of us, we're, we're having trouble with that first sentence right there. We don't like to be patient. Our society is not a patient society. We own everything now. Instant food, instant potatoes, instant everything. Whatever we want, we want it right now. So when David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, automatically we think, well, I'm out because I'm not, I'm not a patient man. But let's continue. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust. This, this psalm, it was written by David after a time of suffering in his life. Many Bible theologians believe that this psalm was written after David sinned with Bathsheba and after God had punished him or he was enduring the punishment that God was putting on him at the time when he sinned with Bathsheba, God sent Nathan the prophet to, to tell him that because of his sin, there would be suffering. But because of his repentance, there would be mercy. 
And David did suffer because of his affair, because of his adultery. He lost a child that he had with Bathsheba because of their affair. His, his children turned on each other and killed each other. They turned on him and, and tried to kill him. He almost lost his kingdom. David suffered because of his sin. But he knew God was going to work it out for his ultimate good. He knew God would show him mercy because God had promised it to him. So he waited. He waited for God. And while he was waiting, he penned this psalm. And David, through his pain, he learned how to wait well. This verse raises a couple questions for us. Here's the first question. How do I wait well? David explains that his waiting and he learned to wait well by saying that he waited patiently for God. He didn't wait on God. He waited for God. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But this, this, this saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. Man, it sounds spiritual. It sounds really good. But what does it actually mean? Now, the words waited patiently actually give us some insight into what David is saying. The, the words in the, the English Bible, waited and patiently, they're the exact same Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word kavah. Kavah, same exact word used two times back to back. You could literally translate this as David saying, in my waiting, I waited on the Lord. That doesn't clear it up for you, does it? Doesn't clear it up for me. So we got to dig a little deeper. Now, this Hebrew word literally means to look forward to, to hope for, to expect eagerly for an outcome. So what David said was while he was waiting, he was waiting with hope. He was looking forward expectantly for what God was going to do in his life and through his pain. So in, in our times of waiting, we can know that God is working and we can know that what he is, is doing is going to be the, the best possible outcome from us. So our pain is worth it. But in the moment, you can't see that. In the pain, you don't have patience. You don't have hope. You're not expectantly, excitedly waiting for God because you don't understand what God's doing. But we do know that it will be for our good and for God's glory to accomplish his purpose in our lives. So in our seasons of waiting, when we, when we can't see what God's doing, when we don't understand what God's doing, when we, we can't explain what God's doing, we can wait hopefully and expectantly looking forward knowing that God is waiting. God has a plan in your waiting. But how do you wait well? First way to wait well is walk with God. Again, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. Seasons of waiting are always an indication of lack of clarity. We are waiting because we don't know what God is doing. 
When we're waiting, it's because there's, there's something that we don't know. There's some experience that we haven't walked through yet. And we, we don't know all the facts. We don't know what God's doing. And so because of that, God makes us wait. And a lack of clarity from God is always an invitation for deeper intimacy with God. It is in our pursuit of God that God speaks to us, that God directs us, that God gives clarity for what we're going through. So David, while he's waiting patiently on the Lord or for the Lord, he is waiting for God to speak to him. Intimacy with God is achieved by time alone with God through prayer and through Bible reading. The best things that you can do in your your seasons of waiting is to run to God. Walk with him in his word and walk with him in prayer. It's what James was talking about in James 4 when he says, draw nigh to God. In times of waiting, we wait well by walking with God. And I know that's obvious. I know every believer out there is like, well, preacher, you're not telling us anything we're not aware of. We don't know. But in times of waiting, our flesh doesn't want to walk with God. In times of waiting, our flesh doesn't want to spend time with God. What we want to do is we want to fix the problem. And David said, no, 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 I'm going to wait for God. And am I waiting? I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to allow him to talk to me. We need to remind ourselves to walk with God because when we're waiting, what we need is clarity from God. And that only comes from fellowship with God. Walk with God. Second thing we can do to wait well, apply his word. While we're waiting, there are a lot of things we don't know. But there's more things we do know. You know, most of God's will for your life, most of God's will for my life is, is not uncertain. You know, we, we think of God's will as this mysterious thing, this dark thing we have to discover like God's laid out a treasure map in scripture for us to, to secretly somehow sneak around and find the will of God. But did you know that 90 to 95% of God's will for your life is revealed in scripture? God has already told you how to live. God has already told you how to make decisions. In times of waiting, apply the truth you already know in your life. James 1.22 says this, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Knowing what God's word says and doing what God's word says are not the same thing. You will never discover what is next in your life by disobeying what is now in your life. As we obey what we already know, God reveals to us what's next. Sometimes we are waiting because we're not completely submitted to God in other areas of his word. There are things in our life that we know to be wrong. Maybe there's an attitude we have towards another believer or towards a loved one or a parent or a spouse. Maybe there's a sin that we're just 
clinging on to because we, we just want it so much and so we're clinging to that sin. Maybe there's, there's some type of, of relationship that you know is wrong, but you refuse to get it right. You refuse to get rid of that toxic person or you refuse to mend those fences and you know it's wrong, but you just don't care. You're doing what you want to do and then you wonder why you're waiting. You're not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. God is waiting on you to do now what you know is right. We need to look at our own lives and see if there's any area that we are disobeying God in. Examine your heart. We need to walk with God to wait well. We need to apply his word to wait well. We need to involve his family to wait well. Christianity is all about relationships your relationship to God the Father through Jesus Christ and your relationship with other believers. God gave us the church to go through life with God together. He never intended us to walk our path with him alone. That's why he gave us the church to help each other and encourage each other and strengthen each other. But in times of waiting, what we like to do is we like to isolate ourselves. And I know that's That's easy to do right now when we're being told to isolate ourselves. We're being told to not go out in public and not talk to people and not get in crowds greater than 10 and stay home. And We're told to isolate, but we still need God's people. We still need to reach out and and get help when we need it. The enemy always wins when God's children isolate themselves. So how do you... How do we get others involved? How do we involve the family of God? First of all, involve them in your prayer life. If you're involved in a season of waiting, get others, other brothers and sisters involved in praying with you, joining you in what God is doing in your life. But you can also involve others through counsel. You know, sometimes we wait because God is trying to teach us something. And God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to to speak into our lives, to show us what God is trying to teach us. When I am waiting, my input is never enough. My perspective is always limited and my flesh is always deceitful. I need other brothers and sisters in Christ to give me input and guidance. So we walk with God. We apply his word. We involve his family. And then finally, we trust his character. God is always God, and he will always do what he says he will do. In Numbers chapter 23, God says this. says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he he spoken, and shall he not make it good? You can trust God's character. You can trust that God is sovereign. No matter what you are facing, God is in control. It didn't catch him off guard. He didn't, what he was expecting it the whole time. It's not outside of his control. It's not outside of his scope of authority or power. God is sovereign over all and God is sovereign over what you're facing. God is sovereign. You can trust that. But also God is good. Everything that is in your life will ultimately be 
for your good and his glory. And it is filtered through his love for you. That's what Proverbs says. The trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not on thine own understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. To wait well, we need to wait with expectancy. To wait knowing that God is at work. To wait with hope. To do that, we got to walk with God. we got to apply his word. we got to involve his family. We have to trust his character. That's what David is describing when he said he waited patiently for the Lord. But here's the second question. What is God's promise in our waiting? There's an incredible promise from God in Psalms about what he will do when we wait for him well. First thing we can know God promises us is that he is listening. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and he heard my cry. The word inclined means to bend or stretch towards. Albert Barnes, who is a, a Hebrew scholar, he said it me, that it means to place one's ear next to another's mouth. Heard my cry literally means to hear and understand. Now, let me explain what David's saying here. Right now, I'm by myself in the church auditorium. Fifth week in a row, I'm preaching to an empty room and I don't like it. I am excited for the day where we can worship together and come together. And this auditorium is filled with believers and children of God. But let's imagine we're all together now. This auditorium is filled. And I ask every one of you at the count of three to tell me your name. Now, I know it's weird, but I want you to do it anyway. At home. By yourself with your where I know it's strange, but that's okay. We're in quarantine. We're allowed to be strange for every once in a while. On the count of three, shout out your name. Ready? One, two, three. That was, that was kind of silly, wasn't it? It's kind of weird here, too. No one's here to shout out their name. But if you're in a house full of people with a lot of people around, you probably had a hard time understanding everybody. If this auditorium was full and everyone shouted their name at once, I wouldn't understand anybody. All I would hear was, was noise. And that's how a lot of people think it is when we pray to God. They think we're all just throwing these prayers up to God and they're all coming to him at once and it's just a bunch of noise and he, he can't understand what's going on. But that's not what the Bible says here. What David is saying is when we pray, God bends down, he puts his ear to our mouth, and he listens to us. When you pray, God gives you his undivided attention. When we wait and pray, God leans into us, he hears us, and he understands us. In waiting, it's okay to cry out to God. That's, that's part of walking with God. And when you do cry out to God, he hears you and he listens to you. That's why James said, I said this verse, part of this verse before, draw nigh to God, but there's a second part, and he will draw nigh to you. When you wait well, 
You can know that God is leaning in and he's paying attention to you and he's listening to your prayer. But he isn't just listening. Not only is God listening, God is working. And in seasons of waiting, when it seems like nothing's happening, we can have faith and we can know that God is doing something. Our flesh will tell us God's not doing anything. Our flesh will tell us that God's left us, abandoned us, forgot us, that we're on our own. But David teaches us something different. He said he prayed to God. God inclined his ear. God answered him. And he gave several things that he, that God did that he knew that God was working in his mouth and working in his life. Look at verse uh, two. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth. We can know with certainty that while we are waiting and it seems like God's doing nothing, God is working. But not only is God working, God removes the noise. David says, he brought me up out of a horrible pit. Now the word horrible there in the Hebrew, it means roar, crash, uproar, or noise. Isn't that how waiting is? When there's unknown, all the noise distracts us from what we're really facing, the noise of news, the noise of social media, the noise of negative people in our lives can overwhelm us. But when we wait on God well, God removes the noise. But God also reminds us of who we are in him. It says, and he set my feet upon a rock. You know, waiting can make us forget who we are in Christ. We can forget that we're loved and accepted and cherished by God. We can believe the lie that God's forgotten us, he's abandoned us. But when we wait well, God removes the noise and he sets us on a rock and reminds us who we are. You know, Paul tells us in, in the New Testament that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate us from our relationship with God. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth. Nothing can separate us from our relationship with God. God in our waiting reminds us that he loves us, he's for us, we're cherished, we're adopted, we are his children. But God also in our waiting, he renews our worship. David starts verse three, says he has put a new song in my mouth. If you're not waiting well, worship can be hard. We don't want to worship when we're waiting. That's why David said in verse 4 that the person who, who trusts in God, the person who waits well, is blessed. Because when we're waiting well, no matter what we're facing, no matter what, no matter what we're going through, we can still worship God. We can still sing praises to God. You know, every one of us right now, we are in a season of waiting. When this one's over, we'll face more seasons of waiting. We will all struggle waiting to see the good that God promised us in Romans 8, 28. As believers, we're in what Andy Stanley calls the messy middle. We are waiting for the hope of heaven. We are waiting for the hope of Romans 8, 28, but we, we still have pain.
we still have sickness. We still have difficult circumstances and that waiting can cause us to lose our faith. Remember what Admiral Stockdale said, don't lose faith in the end of the story. Don't stop waiting well. Walk with God. Apply His Word. Involve His family and trust His his character. If you're watching this morning and you're not a believer, you can't wait well because you don't have any hope. Because God's not working the pain for your good. Because you're not one of His children. Remember, these promises only apply to His children. So maybe you're watching, you're like, but I'm not a believer, so what am I supposed to do? Well, there's good news for you too. Though you may not be a child of God now, you can be. The entire story of the Bible is God's story of God's love for you. God loves you and God wants to have a relationship with you. We're experiencing this pain right now because we live in a fallen world. God created everything perfect in the Garden of Eden, but sin entered in, and when sin came, so did pain and hurt and death and all things. The Bible says in Romans, for by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So that death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You are suffering, you are waiting because you live in a sinful world, but also because you're a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinners. And God says if, if we want to have a relationship with Him, we have to be perfect. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. And I know you're not perfect. God says if you want to live eternity with me and have a relationship with me, you have to live a perfect, sinless life, and we could never do that. So that means we were all condemned to hell for eternity. But God loved us so much that He, he took on flesh. He became humanity. He lived a perfect life. Jesus did what we can never do. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he died on the cross. He didn't die for his sins. He had none. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. That's why when John saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came as God in the flesh to live a perfect life, to do what you can never do, and then to die in your place and to shed his blood to pay your sin debt. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, showing everybody that he was God, proving he was who he says he was, and he did what he said he came to do, and he reconciled us to God the Father. He did all the work. So when he was on the cross right before he died, he said, it is finished. What needed to happen for you to be saved was done. All you have to do now is put your faith in him. Is understand that you're a sinner condemned to hell. Understand there's nothing you could do to get away from it. There's nothing you could do to work your way out or be good your way out or bribe your way out. You were condemned to hell with no hope. But because God loved you so much, he came, he lived a perfect life, He died in your place and he rose again to reconcile you to God the Father. And if you believe those things and put your faith in what he did, the Bible says you become a child of God. You begin a relationship with God that can never be taken away. 
and you can claim this promise and you can learn how to wait well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time of waiting. Lord, I know it's, it's difficult sometimes to thank you for these things, but you command us to give thanks for all things. And so, Lord, we know and we trust and we believe that in this time of waiting, you're working something incredible for us. We don't know what it is. We don't know when we'll see it. We don't know what it looks like, but we know you're doing it. And Lord, we trust in that. And we thank you for that. But Lord, while we wait, help us to wait well. Help us to walk with you. Help us to apply your truth. Help us to involve your family. And help us to trust your character. As believers continue to pray, I want to speak to those who are listening or watching and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've heard the gospel. You know what the Bible says. Not what I say. Not what some theologian or some other pastor says. What God says in His Word. How you can know for sure that you have eternal life. If you know that, if you know you're a sinner condemned to hell, if you know that Jesus loved you so much He came and did for you what you couldn't do as He lived a perfect life and died on the cross in your place and rose again to reconcile you with God the Father, if you know that to be true, I would lead you in a prayer. There's no power in the prayer. There's nothing special about it. It's just you acknowledging to God what you know to be true in your heart. So I'll, I'll pray and you just, you can repeat this prayer audibly. You can say it in your heart. Just pray this prayer if you want to accept Christ as your Savior. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your incredible love for me. Lord, I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But I'm so grateful you gave it to me. God, I understand and I know that, Lord, I'm a sinner condemned to eternity without you. And there's nothing I can do in my own strength to stop that. That, Lord, without your intervention, I'm condemned and I'm doomed to hell for eternity. But, God, I also believe and also know that you love me so much that you came to do for me what I couldn't do. You lived a perfect life. You died a death that I should have suffered. You rose again to redeem me to God the Father. And Lord, I accept your work on the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection only as payment for my sin. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer, you have begun a relationship with God that can never end. But I'm sure you got a few questions. I'm sure you're not sure where to start. So we want to help you with that. We'll put some information on the screen here. If you, you prayed that prayer and you accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to reach out to us. You can call me. You can text me. You can send me an email. This is all my personal information. First of all, we want to rejoice with you. We want to praise God that you, you put your faith and your trust in Him and Him alone for salvation. But also we want to help you in the next steps of your walk with Him. No matter where you are, if you're not even in Roanoke, we can direct you to a good church and we can get you plugged in where you can grow with other believers. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I know we're waiting. I know it's hard. But let's wait well.